It's time for another episode of Corner of the Galaxy from the Box. The show that gets you behind the scenes of the LA Galaxy and into the minds of soccer reporters and MLS experts. Your hosts for the day are Corner of the Galaxy's Josh Guestman and LA Times soccer reporter Kevin Baxter. Let's start the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Corner of the Galaxy from the Box on cornerofthegalaxy.com. I'm your host, Josh Gessman, coming to you from COG Studios on Sunday, July 28th. That's right, another Sunday show because I'm still busy on Monday night, apparently. So we'll continue to uh, rock these weekends, and as long as the Galaxy play on Saturdays or on Fridays, the Sundays seem to work for us, so we'll, uh, we'll continue with that. Hopefully that means you can start your week with a little bit of Corner of the Galaxy from the Box uh, ready in your inbox on Monday morning. All right. Uh, the LA Galaxy lose 4-0 to the Portland Timbers. Certainly going to talk about that. Uh, lots of interesting takeaways from that um, and interesting in the horrible ways I'm sure uh, a bunch of you are, are interested in or maybe not interested in. But a 4-0 loss to Portland uh, certainly isn't having Galaxy faithful feeling comfortable with their team right now and uh, probably nor should they. Uh, so we're going to talk about that. We also have some Pavone rumor updates or at least some Pavone rumor talk because God only knows what's true and what's not true at this point. Uh, also going to make sure that we get you at least a little bit understand where the Galaxy sit in the playoff race, how they stand right now in, the, in, this, in those standings, and how they look ahead in Atlanta. So a lot to get to, a lot to do, but to help us do that, it's Panda himself, Mr. Kevin Baxter. Kevin, how's it going, buddy? All right, how are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's, it's been busy. I'm, I've been busy, um, but I'm glad that at least on a Sunday night we can sit and talk about the Galaxy for about an hour. That'd be fun. Well, you know, the 4 nothing loss uh, Saturday was their worst of the year. Well, equal their worst. It, they also lost 4 to nothing in Portland uh, in U.S. Open Cup. So did you see – was there any silver lining to you in that game? I mean, I I, I just came away real depressed. I, I didn't see a whole lot of good. And I, I thought David Bingham was, was really great at times, especially early on. But then it kind of – when it turned into a shooting gallery – I thought he was just overwhelmed. Yeah, I mean, but that's sort of been the... I, I, agree, I agree. I don't know that there's any silver lining. There's nobody that I can say played outstanding in this game and that gives them, you know, a path forward in this. Um, I think there were some mistakes made by Guillermo Berescalotto. I think that there were certainly uh, some mistakes made by the players on the field and, and what their mindset was entering the Portland game. I have no idea, uh, but it quickly turned sour. Um, and, and that's maybe my biggest takeaway on this is just, uh, I, I would say, the attitudes, um, you know, the composure, uh, the leadership. Again, I mean... You know, just in the in the macro view that we try to look at, Kevin. You know, we talked about maybe a little bit, at least Eric and I on Thursday about that Thursday game or about the the LAFC game and the win over LAFC being the turning point for the LA Galaxy. They learned how to play together. They dominated the best team in Major League Soccer for basically 90 minutes. Um, they did all these great things to you know to do this, and it was it was a step forward. Um, but as is normally the case, two steps forward, one step back for the LA Galaxy. Um, it's the inconsistent. The, the only thing they're consistent with is their inconsistency, and I'm I'm starting to believe um, that that's just the way it's going to be. Um, that this team is an up and down roller coaster. They're totally wildly inconsist inconsistent. Um, they can play some of the best soccer in Major League Soccer. They can play some of the worst soccer in Major League Soccer. And when things don't go exactly their way, uh, they have fragile egos and a fragile ability to uh, be able to cope with them when they only have one option to try to get back into the game, um, and that's uh, Zlatan. Ibrahimovic. So uh, I don't know if that covers the entire podcast and we need to keep talking, but that was, that was just sort of my, my macro views on, on what this 4 nothing loss means. Yeah, well, we were talking about that before coming on. Certainly the inconsistency, you're right, is the one consistent thing about the Galaxy is they're inconsistent. And I would disagree with you a little bit and say that I thought that the LAFC game was a big step forward 
I think this one was two steps back. I mean, they looked so good against LAFC, and they, it was by far their best performance of the year. There was a lot of chemistry. There was a lot of emotion. Um, you know, guys were really putting it, putting out for the for the crest. I mean, it was a great performance. This one was everything. Uh, you know, the other way. It was everything in opposite. It was a, like looking at a photo negative of the LAFC game. And, and, you know, I know as we go on here, there's probably going to be some criticism for Zlatan, the way that he managed that game as captain. But, um, you know, I do think that when you st- – and, and the fact that the Galaxy really lost control late, you know, with uh, the red card to, to Alvarez, which we'll talk about that, but then the one to Polenta, which came after the after the whistle. Uh, Zlatan really, really fighting hard to get that yellow card so he won't have to go to Atlanta. But, you know, when I look at Zlatan's style as captain um, and and Jonathan Dos Santos when he's captain, it's totally different. I mean, when, when Zlatan loses his cool, as he tends to do, it, it may inspire him and make him a better player. And I don't doubt that because there's a lot of evidence of that. But I think sometimes he takes a lot of the players, especially the younger players, down that rabbit hole with him. Um, and, you know, Jonathan's a completely different kind of captain. He seems much more cool, calm, and collected. He will argue with the referees, but it doesn't turn into, uh, you know, this emotional battle that it seems to with Zlatan. And, and, and when things start to go south, I think he drags some people with him, and I think it's unfortunate. Yeah, in, in this game, and, and let's, you know, be very, very clear in terms of, you know, what it looks like. This was a repeat lineup from the LAFC game, which I think is a mistake to begin with. And, and there's one in particular, one player in particular, that I think that was a mistake with. Um, and that's Julian Araujo at right midfield. While Araujo played very well in that game against LAFC, he then went another, you know, basically almost 90 minutes because he got a red card, um, his second yellow, in the League's Cup game that was played on Tuesday, and then was asked to again go out there and run up and down the field at that right wing position ahead of Rolf Felcher. Um, and if you want to know the biggest weak point in the LA Galaxy's you know, sort of structure in their formation, it was that side. It was the side on Rolf Felcher. It was Julian Araujo. It was Araujo not being able to come back and cover for Felcher when Felcher went forward, and it was just not having the legs of, of being able to track those guys back through. I mean, the second goal in this is the prime example of that, is that you know Araujo goes forward, Felcher goes forward. And by the way, I want to make very clear as well, The two goals that happened in the first half both come as a result of the LA Galaxy not scoring at the other end. So you had two prime scoring chances for the LA Galaxy go completely unanswered all the way down the back to the other side of the field in the counterattack, which you know Portland is good on the uh, on the counter. Everybody knew that, and I, I think the Galaxy knew it as well. But Portland comes down and is able to attack against that right side, which is overcommitting uh, you know, for the Galaxy. I mean, that's really the story for me. The first goal is, um, again, a counterattack that comes down, and, and that, that one, Dan Starez pulled, uh, pulled himself out of position on it. Um, Starez didn't have a great night. I mean, nobody's going to argue that. Um, I don't think Dan's going to argue that if, if you really ask him but you know um the the second goal not Dan Starr's fault sure you'd love for him not to get Meg there but he's on an island with Diego Valeri uh, that's usually not a great place for people to go so all of these things that are happening is that when you look at the stats when you look at the gameplay and even Guillermo Barroscoloto Kevin said to the Fox crew um basically said hey you know um I thought we were the better team in the first half I don't know if I would go that far but I certainly think that the Galaxy were even with Portland through that first half Steve Clark their goalkeeper just came up with some miraculous saves through throughout this game, probably stopped three goals for the LA Galaxy. If you put that into that same context, you're looking at more of like a 4-3 game. I'm not saying that we should, you know, blow sunshine up anybody, you know, on this to try to make this less of a blow. But the LA Galaxy were in this game 
um, until they weren't. And once this Galaxy team gets out of a game, Kevin, it's get floodgates wide open. They're going to overcommit on offense because Guillermo Barros-Scalotto never thought of lo- uh, of losing a game 2 nothing whenever he could lose it 4 nothing. It's all about trying to attack and get back into the game. And the Galaxy just don't have the offensive creativity for me to, to do that. But the Julian Araujo, back to my original point, Julian Araujo being placed in that position and asked to do that again, in my mind, is a gross miscalculation from uh, from Guillermo Barrescalotto. I probably would have done something like put Antuna on the right-hand side and put Boateng uh, maybe in or... You know, you you had Legette as well, but there was just you, you didn't want to play Legette that early, and they even hinted at that. There was just there was too much asked of Julian Araujo, and I don't know if the if they thought they were going to get healthy people back for this game, Kevin, and that Araujo wouldn't have to do it, and that's why he played in League's Cup. But ultimately, there was no reason for him to play in League's Cup, um, and he did. He played 90 minutes, and he looked tired, and he was ineffective on the night. Well, the thing that stuck out for me was the the counterattacks. I mean, they, they were both, uh, as you said, ex- should have been expected. And the Galaxy pushing that many people forward at that point in the game, I think the first counterattack, it was still scoreless, right? Yeah. And so the Galaxy uh, committing that many numbers on the road in a very difficult place to play like Portland, you know, maybe they, they really felt like one of, well, one of the things the Galaxy really have their, in their advantage, I think they've only lost one game when they scored first. So perhaps that played into their thinking a little bit really wanting to get that first goal. But, I mean, you're right. They just totally overcommitted and weren't prepared at all for that counterattack. And whether it was the League's Cup game, only a couple of guys played in that. That might not be an excuse. The travel, uh, the emotion of the LAFC game, whatever, the Galaxy did not seem to have any legs. I mean, they could not track back on that counterattack. Uh, and it happened, you know, it happened twice. And and as you said, they should have been prepared for that. That's the way Portland plays. Yeah, I mean, and, and here's the criticism is that, um, you know, you, you can't, in my mind, you can't criticize Guillermo Barrescalotto for the counterattack from Portland because everybody knows that Portland likes to do that counterattack. So I'm I'm 100% sure that GBS went out there and said, listen, they like to counter. This is what we're going to do to offset that and make this less dangerous. You know, the whole deal. Um, basically, it was probably a lot like LAFC, who also likes to counter and can counter quickly throughout through the wings and do all that stuff. I mean, really, the, you're talking about two teams in Portland and LAFC that play a lot like each other in terms of uh, their attacking options, the number of attacking options, you know, really probably the formation in a 4-3-3, probably a bit similar as well. So there's a lot of things that are similar here. It's just execution in this game. So so I can't sit here and say that G- GBS didn't prepare the Galaxy correctly. It has to be that the players didn't manage the game correctly. And, and you're right. This has been a problem with the Galaxy all year, and certainly um, you look at when they score first and whenever they don't score first, and those are huge numbers on either direction, and you know, rarely do you see it go the other way, except it went the other way against LAFC, and then it went pr- against the other way against San Jose. In San Jose, they scored first and lost. LAFC, they, they, uh, LAFC scored first and they won. So like you see the two examples, the most recent examples, went the opposite way of all those things. However, saying that, um, the Galaxy cannot afford to get behind, and the reason they can't is because their offense is is Zlatan Ibrahimovic. And, and you can say, yeah, Zlatan can score seven goals, but they have to commit so many numbers forward, Kevin, that in order to do that, in order to create the offense for Zlatan Ibrahimovic, who's usually covered by three or four guys, there has to be an overcommit by the LA Galaxy offense, and that usually means getting the outside backs involved, and when they're involved, that means you're leaving your center backs on an island, um, and that's what you saw in this game. And the other two goals are also counterattack goals, but it comes as the Galaxy are trying to get back into the game, and they're desperate to get back in the game. And when when you're desperate to get back into the game, you allow more goals. It's an embarrassing scoreline. 
Um, but when you look at the stats, it's not like you sat here and said, okay, Portland dominated on all these things. The big deal and probably the big difference here is that Zlatan Ibrahimovic didn't score any of those goals. You know, Antuna didn't score the goal that was on the on the line um, in the second half that, you know, Steve Clark, the, the Portland goalkeeper, made a great save. Uh, Clark made another great save. I mean, there are two goals that you can count for the LA Galaxy that should have been in the back of the net, and Steve Clark kept, kept them out. Um, and that's probably the difference in this game, and people don't want to hear that, but that's probably the difference in this game is the fact that the Galaxy didn't convert on the shots they had. I mean, they had six shots on target to 10 shots on target. That's not getting dominated. Uh, 22 to 15 in, in shots, seven to, you know, seven to, it's, and, and the possession isn't even that far off. You know, it's only about a 5% or a 4% swing towards Portland in this. So um, those are sort of the positives in terms of that, but having said that, when you watch that game, Kevin, you can't take any of those positives away from this. Well, you know, the thing that you, you mentioned, uh, there's a lot of time as their whole offense. He, he has 16 goals. Daniel Starris, a defender, is second on the team with three goals. So there's a 13-goal gap between first and second. And, yeah, Zalatan is that much better than everybody else. But when your offense is that focused on one person, and it is Zalatan, and he's impossible to stop. But he's easier to stop when the other team knows that that's the only guy that's going to get the ball and ch- with a chance to score. And you're right. There were some opportunities yesterday. Those guys didn't commit you know, or didn't convert, whether that is because Clark made great saves or, or what it is. The point is that the guy putting the ball in the back of the net, it's the same guy. It's, it's a lot of And, and now with this result and the fact that the, that the, uh, the galaxy offense is very much one dimensional. Now they have a goal differential of minus one. That doesn't sound like it's very uh, worrisome at this point, but you know, there's 12 games to go, but if the galaxy continue to stumble, that goal differential is going to become could become a big part of their playoff push because that's the first tiebreaker. Yeah, it is, and and here's the other part of that too is that if you look at the history of the LA Galaxy across the 24 seasons that you have here, uh, they have only finished four times with a negative goal differential. Um, so, and the worst one was in 2017 when they were minus 22. Uh, 2007, 2008, both bad years, minus 10, minus seven. Um, but you, you again, you go and look at this stuff, and it's not the defense on this side. It is definitely the offense. I mean, the Galaxy are on pace to score 20 less goals than they scored last year. Uh, certainly Ola Kamara going was that you understood you were going to give up, you know, 12, 13 goals whenever he went away. Um, but you were hoping that Roman Alessandrini and probably his 10 goals would stay. Um, and they haven't. And if the Galaxy could add 10 more goals to where they are at right now, I guarantee that they would probably be, uh, you know, a lot closer to the top of the table than they would do to possibly missing the playoffs. And even with them sitting in third, and we'll talk about this, I mean, they're in a precarious position right now, and I absolutely, you know, believe that. But the, the other parts and the keys to this game is just, it's the composure, Kevin, and it has been the composure. Um, you look at the yellow cards that were put into this game. Uh, there were a ton of yellow cards in this game. There are three red cards that end up getting being called in this game. Zlatan Ibrahimovic argued his way in the 76th minute into a yellow card. You could see Alan Chapman giving him all the leeway throughout the entirety of the first half, which Ibrahimovic was all over Chapman from the beginning. And then basically Zlatan went after him in the 76th minute over and over and over again until Chapman finally relented. He, he basically had to relent and give Zlatan Ibrahimovic a yellow card. And everybody knew that Zlatan was on yellow card caution. And I know that Zlatan Ibrahimovic knew it because he was aware of it in the LAFC game. So he knew that what was going on. He knew what he was doing. Um, and that's that's where this all really starts to go downhill whenever you look at it. I mean, uh, for me, as we saw some of this in, you know, the 2017 season, 
Kevin, and where you saw, you know, Yellow Von Dom possibly uh, get a get a red card on purpose or a yellow card on purpose that ended up making sure that he wouldn't play the next game. You saw it from perhaps Jermaine Jones as well, getting a yellow or red card on purpose that would ensure that they didn't play the next game. Uh, in my mind, the leadership that's out there on the field was Zlatan Ibrahimovic knew he wasn't going to go to Atlanta whenever he started this. And, and we sort of talked about this multiple times before this even started. We said, oh, he's going to get a yellow card against LAFC knowing that he won't have to go to Portland and play on the turf. Or he's going to get one against Portland knowing he won't have to travel across the country to Atlanta after playing in the All-Star game this Wednesday. Um, so all of those things sort of followed. What 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 happened there, and you hinted at it, was that his uh, lack of composure and his his way of getting himself fired up, or however you want to look at it, uh, really trickled down to, to other guys. And the red card to Efrain Alvarez in the 84th minute uh, for violent conduct, as it was uh, classified, um, is probably a prime example from that. A 17-year-old Efrain Alvarez. Um, and I'll, I'll say this. On Twitter, I said that I don't know how you expect... Uh, you know, Efrain Alvarez to stop his kick whenever the guy hasn't even hit the ground yet and the, and the whistle hasn't blown. Um, having talked to some people who are close to different teams uh, throughout the league, uh, some players, that is, and, and sort of getting their view on it, uh, there's at least a couple of them uh, that I was able to reach out to that said, yeah, that's totally a red card, and there's a whole bunch of reasons they went through that they could sort of explain why it is. And I'll say that after watching it in real time a bunch of times from, you know, sort of on there, the, the red card's probably the right right call in that situation. Um, it, it's a lack of composure. It's a it's an unnecessary thing to do. And and the biggest sort of damning thing of, of the entire play there is that Efrain Alvarez is facing his own goal whenever he kicks it as hard as he can at a guy who's about three feet away from him and ends up hitting him in the head now. Um, it, it looked like he was winding up before he was even falling. Uh, but at the same time, I think he knew what he was, he could have done there. I think he could have done a lot of different things. Um, and so he deserves not to be there. And by the way, the, the least worried you should be about any of the suspensions going into Atlanta is Efrain Alvarez. Um, that's not the one that hurts. The one that hurts is, uh, is Zlatan Ibrahimovic. The one that hurts is Diego Polenta after the game, uh, getting into it with uh, Darren Espria as well. So... Um, you know, this is just, it's a cascade effect for this, Kevin. I mean, the biggest deal is that, yeah, you lost 4 to nothing to Portland on the road, and yeah, you had some chances, and you probably could have taken some positives away from this, but now you have three players that will not be with you in Atlanta. Atlanta is an extremely difficult team to beat, and you're going to be expected to do it without Diego Polenta, who is, you know, was your assist leader at one point, uh, and you're going to do it without your assist leader and your leading goal scorer. I mean, you know, why, why even make the, make the trip to Atlanta now? Well, a couple of things. You you mentioned the goals. The Galaxy in the Supporter Shield standings, they're fourth in the league, have the fourth best record in the league. But they have 30 goals, 1.36 goals a game. There's only three teams in the league, Columbus, Vancouver, and Cincinnati, that have fewer goals. So here's a team that's fourth fourth best record, fourth most points. Only three teams have scored fewer goals than them. And, and then when you talk about the composure, um, you know, it, it, it reminds me, it, you see it in a lot of other sports. Let's use hockey as an example where there might be a violent, there might be a physical game, there may be some things going on in the field, and it's kind of the captain's job to keep everything under wraps. And then something happens, and it's go time, and, and you know, it, everything just goes crazy. You see it maybe in baseball when a, when a pitcher beans a guy, when there's, a, you know, an emotional confrontation between two teams. I kind of think that's what happened. Once people saw that Zalatan was not going to relent, that Zalatan was was hell bent on getting that that second yellow card, I, I think that fed into a lot of the other players. And, and I would bet that that was what Polenta was thinking. Look, if my captain can't 
keep it together after the game. It's it's okay for me too. I'm going to go after this guy. That may be a little bit of a simplistic reading, but certainly the Galaxy didn't look like they had uh, they were going to be you know composed and professional and accept their loss and get out of town. And, and then so now they lose these two guys as you say going to Atlanta. Here's the defending MLS champions, a team that's lost only one game at home. Uh, this season, you know they're going to have 70,000 people if they open the upper deck, 70,000 people at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. So if the Galaxy were to lose or not win, say get a draw, it would be a, a great result for them. But if they were if they were not to win that game, um, again, we talked about this as a team without any consistency. So maybe the whole idea of momentum is kind of wasted on the Galaxy. But when you look at the schedule coming up, beginning with Saturday's road game against Atlanta, which, again, has lost only once at home this season, the Galaxy will play six MLS games in 29 days. That doesn't include the League Cups game. Six games in 29 days. Uh, who do they play in those games? They play Atlanta, the defending champion, D.C. United with Wayne Rooney uh, at Audi Field. So there's two back-to-back cross-country trips, going to Atlanta, coming home, going to D.C. Then they have two home games, Dallas and Seattle, then they play LAFC on the road and Seattle on the road. Th- those six games, the teams that they'll be playing have a combined record of 66, 38, and 32. And I said four of those games will be on the road where the Galaxy has a losing record. So all of a sudden, the idea that they're in third place in, in the conference and they have a, a comfortable six-point cushion uh, you know, for the playoff race, that could disappear really quickly. And now when you go back to that goal differential, which they'll go into that streak with a minus-one goal differential – all of a sudden, that playoff berth that was looking so good, you know, when they when they beat LAFC, I'm not sure it's all that comfortable anymore. When you they can't they were undefeated in April of yep. the Galaxy, where they finished April seven one and one. Um, since then, they're five and eight. In April, they got thirteen points, thirteen out of think out of uh, available fifteen uh, in April. Uh, since then, they've gotten fifteen points. So uh, things are not looking as good as they might have looked when they came out of that LAFC game and everything seemed to be clicking the right way. Yeah, I mean, but that's that's and that's sort of been their MO. I mean, you're right. I don't I don't know that momentum is their thing. Um I, I'm going to I'm going to start thinking about that whenever I start, you know, planning for these games and seeing how it goes. Um you you're absolutely right. March they had, you know, they averaged 2.25 points per game. Uh April they averaged 2.6 points per game. May, 1 point per game. And by the way, they played uh 6 games in May. As well, so one point per game. They got six points out of the entirety of May. Uh, June, they played three games and averaged one point. They got three points out of that. Uh, you know, you look at uh, July, where they had 1.50. Actually, July was one of their better uh, better months. You know, in recent times, there was certainly an uptick, and they had two wins and two losses in that. So, um, you know, that's that's sort of what they, but they have five games coming up in August. They have six games coming up in September. Uh, again, not counting Lee's Cup. Uh, they have October. Uh, they have that one game. I mean, we're talking about getting down to sort of, you know, the 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 final sort of uh, positioning that the Galaxy need. Now, they're, what, 12 games away from the season being over, um, and that's that's going to put a lot of pressure on them, uh, you know, as you look at, at where they're playing. I'll, I will say one thing about their away record. Yes, they have a losing record on the road. Um, there's only, that I can see, one team right now that has a winning record on the road, or at least in the Western Conference as I look at it. That's LAFC at 6-3-3. Three, and three. Uh, The Galaxy at 4-5-1 and one have the second most wins on the road um, behind LAFC who has six, Portland who has six, uh, the LA Galaxy have four, Minnesota United has four. 
Um, so, you know, it's looking at road record isn't exactly probably the best way to categorize whether or not, or, or at least w- having a winning record on the road isn't exactly the best way to categorize how the Galaxy do um, on that road because they're actually an okay road team this year. Um, in fact, they're beating their overall average whenever you look at uh, road games and home games and points per game and how that goes. Um, they're beating their overall average right now. They're above average in points per game on the road for their franchise history. So, you know, there's there's at least I don't know if there's a silver sort of lining to that. But whenever we look at predicting, um, you know, where the Galaxy are going to be at the end of this, the bottom line is that 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 seventh place, that playoff spot that's between seventh and eighth, um, you know, is that line. The Galaxy are going to probably creep closer to that line as you look at the games that they have, um, because certainly if you're going to be predicting wins, draws and losses, which is probably impossible with the L.A. Galaxy. But if you're looking at that, first of all, don't ever predict a draw, Kevin, because they've only done that once this year. Yeah, I just looked at that. They have the lowest number of draws, one in the league. Every other team has at least two draws. Many have many teams have. Well, like New York, New York City FC, right? They've got nine draws. Chicago Fire have nine draws. Tell me again about your theory that that's part of the lack of maybe composure and heart in difficult games as well. Isn't I, that your theory? I wouldn't say heart. Um, maybe not even composure. Yeah, I mean, there's some of that. There is a composure factor to it. I think that the Galaxy should be happy with a draw every once in a while. Um, and that I think, you know, you should go into Atlanta whenever you go there and you should be saying, we're fighting for one point. And that's all we're fighting for. And that's okay. And sometimes that's a good place to be because the Galaxy are always trying to win a game. They're always trying to, if they're behind, they're always trying to get back into that game, um, you know, and try to win that game. And that's a great thing to have have happen because, as you can see, with inconsistency, um, the LA Galaxy still have, I think, the second most wins in Major League Soccer with 12, um, only behind LAFC's 15. So the wins certainly add up more than the draws. And that's always been an argument that's been played out there is who cares about draws? Go for the wins. And if you lose, you lose. It's not a big deal. The Galaxy are sort of proving that this year, but it shows their inconsistency. I think that... If you're a Galaxy fan and you have nine of those, you know, you have nine losses right now, if you could convert three of those to draws, have three more points where you're at, um, and you're at 40 points right now, um, that you feel like this Galaxy team is a much better team. And I think that's sort of been the hard part for everybody who doesn't watch the Galaxy on a consistent basis to sort of be able to pin this team as whether or not they're how good they are in the Western Conference. Um, and that's that's the difficult thing, and it's because of this. It's they either win a game or they lose a game. And if they win a game, they win a game, and that's great. And if they lose a game, sometimes they get blown out, and that's just the way it is. Um, and I don't know how to sort of wrap my head around those types of results because it's tough to say that the LA Galaxy are the third best team in the Western Conference right now. The standings say that. Um, but if you look at teams around them, um, you know, hey, I, I don't know. Maybe I know, know what I'm talking about. They beat LAFC, which is the number one team. Um, you know, they, they lost to the San Jose Earthquakes, who are currently tied with them right now, um, you know, for third and fourth at 37 points. Um, they're probably better than Minnesota United, who are only two points below them. Are they better than FC Dallas? Well, we're probably going to find out because that's coming. that game's coming up at home. Um, the Portland Timbers are in seventh at 31 points. Are the Galaxy better than Portland Timbers? Well, they beat them one game and they lost one game. And where do you sort of put those in the things? I mean, this is the whole problem with maybe Major League Soccer, Kevin, is that you can't pin these teams down to where you think that they should go. And getting hot at any point can see you rocket up these standings. And Zlatan said that. He said, you know, MLS is like no other league he's played in. Like, you never know going into a game. It's 50-50 ball every game. Anybody can beat anybody, which is great. That's part of the excitement. But to your point about... How, how important is one point? What, essentially what you just said is the Galaxy, are, their philosophy is go big or go home. Let's go for the win, and if, if we lose, then we lose. But 
the importance of that point, if they had one extra point last year, just convert one loss into a draw, they make the playoffs. Yeah. So one point is important. And, and I just want to add really quickly, uh, talking about whether or not the Galaxy make the playoffs, so even if they get in as a seventh place team, I think they've got to be considered among the favorites. Why? Because they have Zlatan. And for all the criticism we just leveled on Zlatan, there is no other player in the league like him. He can take over a game at any time, or he can go south and destroy a game. I mean, he can take the team down with him. I, I think that you, we have to agree on that too. But any team that gets in the playoffs with the way David Bingham has played it at, at vast parts of the season and, and with Zlatan's ability to take over a game, nobody is going to want to play the Galaxy no matter what their record. And if they get into the playoffs, they've got to be among the favorites. But right now, you know, I think you can make a compelling case that getting in the playoffs is going to be very, very difficult for them. Yeah, it could. Um, I don't. Again, I don't know really how to classify this team. I keep going back and forth. I mean, I've been watching. I've seen every game they've played this year, um, as most of the fans have. I mean, where do you, I, I have to imagine that everybody sort of feels the same about the Galaxy, which is sort of you know throwing your hands up in the air, saying don't know what you're going to get. You know, they win games they're supposed to lose. Uh, they lose games they're supposed to win. They win games they're supposed to win sometimes, and they lose games they're supposed to lose. I mean, it's it's everything and anything uh, with the LA Galaxy this year, and. Um, you know, I think a lot of that hinges around Jonathan Dos Santos. I mean, if you want to say, you know, as the team goes, you know, it's Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Certainly, if he's scoring, um, that as the team goes, he will play, uh, you know, he, he, the, usually if he's scoring, the Galaxy are winning. Uh, Jonathan Dos Santos is usually, if he's having a good game, the Galaxy are winning. Jonathan didn't have a good game against Portland. Um, I didn't think Joe Corona did a great job in that midfield as well. I thought Portland did a good job of controlling the midfield. I thought Fabio Alvarez was, you know... I don't know, uh, MIA, missing a lot of the times. I mean, he had some good turns, but there was nobody to find. I thought the Galaxy were too slow in transition, and the the big deal is that um, regardless of, of the Pavone rumors or anything else, the Galaxy are missing those offensive creative types. They're missing an Alessandrini. They're missing Kamara. Um, and Uriel and Tuna is fun to watch. Um, but anybody who saw him play in the Gold Cup and saw against the competition he was scoring those goals against sort of understands that going against you know Portland and Major League Soccer is going to be different. And Uriel Antuna is a good player. Um, he ha- he he's he's a very one dimensional in my mind, which is that he uses his speed to either get to the line or cut inside. He has one or two good touches in him. Uh, his passing and crossing is average, um, and that he's not a goal scorer. He can be put in the right spot, and he almost got played through by Zlatan, who played a great ball in, and that was a nice sequence there in the second half that you know Steve Clark stopped almost around the goal line for Antuna. Um, all great plays, but. Oriol Antuna is not the answer to the LA Galaxy's offensive problems. You know, Fabio Alvarez doesn't seem to be the answer to the Galaxy's offensive problems. Um, you know, Zlatan Ibrahimovic right now is the only answer. Getting Jonathan Dos Santos in a more forward position could be mean that you could get, you know, five, six, seven, eight goals out of Jonathan Dos Santos. But at this point, for the rest of the season, you're looking at maybe he could give you, you know, three goals if you put him in a more advanced position. And with Perry Kitchen getting healthy, uh, Perry Kitchen on the bench for this, Sebastian Legette actually played in this game. But with those guys getting healthy, maybe there's an option there to move Jonathan Dos Santos into a more attacking role uh, than he has been. But in this game, the guys who you expect to sort of hang your hat on, and when they do well, the Galaxy do well, Zlatan Ibrahimovic and Jonathan Dos Santos didn't have great games. And I thought, you know, there was some criticism um, by some, you know, MLS people uh, about Zlatan Ibrahimovic not finishing. And he, you know, they got an, he got an expected goal at one point from the position he was in of like 53.7%. And there was like, well, Zlatan needs to finish that, you know, at 53%, that's a really high, you know, yeah, it is. But it's also means that you make it once and you miss it once. 
um, and he missed it this time. And that was sort of the the entire night for Zlatan Ibrahimovic is the shots he was taking. Uh, they were in okay positions. Um, he had a couple good looks, and the one you know one or two good looks he really had he missed. And if that happens for the Galaxy, they're not going to win games. And, and that's what you saw. So. You know, looking at this entire game, looking at what it means to the LA Galaxy in, in the macro view there, Kevin, it's it's really tough for me to put, again, any positive sort of takeaway from this. It's also really tough. I, I think it sort of just points to the fact that the LA Galaxy are going to be inconsistent, that they're reliant on Zlatan Ibrahimovic, unless the Galaxy can bring in one or two goal scorers, and maybe getting Roman Alessandrini back is, you know, that goal scorer they need and, and, you know, getting somebody else in the transfer window is something they need. I mean, you can fix this problem they have, but right now, the offense is the issue. And it's not that Zlatan Ibrahimovic can't score goals, it's just that you're relying on him to score every single goal. And you should be, by the way, because the other guys who are out there are not going to score you those goals. Oriel Antuna isn't going to score you the goals. Um, you know, anybody else who, you know, Julian Araujo is not out there to score goals on that on that right-hand side. That's not why he was there. Uh, Fabio Alvarez doesn't seem like he's a goal scorer either, and he had a couple chances and, you know, over the bar and had a great look. Really should have, should have, but he's not going to score you those goals. So if you only have that, if you know that Zlatan Ibrahimovic is your only option, you better figure out ways to get him the ball and to have him score for you. So I'm all for going through Zlatan, but if he's not scoring, the Galaxy aren't going to be winning. Well, when you talk about the in- inconsistency, um, you know, and first of all, another interesting question is what, who do you, th- who's the most valuable player and who's the most important player? Uh, certainly Zlatan and, and Jonathan are those two, but you know, which title, which tag do you give to each one? Because one's, one's valuable and one's important and it may not be the same person, but in talking about Scalotto, you talked a lot last week in the LAFC game about how he out coached Bob Bradley and, and putting Araujo in that position was, was a gamble that really paid off. And Scalotto really seemed to be totally in charge of that game and be and making most, if not all the right calls, but I wonder with this inconsistency, I mean, I think part of that has to fall to the coach. You know, one thing Ziggy was really good at, uh, we noticed, was that some of his halftime adjustments, the, the Galaxy would be a totally different team in the second half in a lot of games, and, and they stole a lot of points doing that. And a, I think part of that was things that either Ziggy fired them up or, or Ziggy made some tactical changes, whatever it was. I can't imagine a Bruce Arena team going through a, a stretch like this with this much inconsistency, with where it goes from you, this game was a 10 out of 10 to the game like Portland, which was just a, almost a disaster from the start. Maybe I'm being harder on it than you are, but I think you get my point. This would not happen under Bruce Arena. There, there would be some changes made somewhere, whether, it, you know, Zlatan get read the riot act, whether it was a change in formation, whatever it was, you just never saw the Galaxy fall apart like this uh, under Bruce. Yeah, I mean, I'll say this, that I think a lot of times this year, Guillermo Berescaleta has been limited in the changes that he can make by the personnel that he has and the healthy bodies that he had. Um, I thought bringing Sebastian Lejet in the second half was, you know, one of the moves he could have made. You know, bringing in Emmanuel Boateng was a move you could have made. Um, so doing that and making those changes all makes sense to me. I, I think I would have tried to move Araujo early in that in that second half or, or at least at halftime. For me, it just it wasn't working on the night. And the reason it wasn't working is he just didn't have the legs to be able to perform it this time. You know, it was a gamble that paid off against LAFC. It was a gamble to play Araujo 90 minutes in the League's Cup and then expect him to be able to, 
you know, sort of do the same thing that he did against LAFC um, against Portland. And and that to me is the mistake that, that I think GBS makes. And I think you can correct that by going and bringing in Boateng, um, you know, in early, if you don't want to bring Legette in as early as they did. And they even said on the broadcast that, you know, they brought Sebastian Legette in up ahead of when they wanted because the score was, you know, two nothing and they needed to, to bring him in. So, um, you know, having said all that, I still feel like whenever I look at this LA Galaxy bench that I don't sit there and go, okay, I don't have a game changer on this. Um, but I think there's ways to sort of, you know, change that that lineup or at least change the big issue there. And the big issue in this game was that Araujo and Felcher were not getting back to provide coverage on the counterattacks. And they just continued to exploit that um, throughout the rest of the game as well. You know, you also had... Um, some some real attitudes, you know, from the very beginning on this. I mean, it, I think it was early in the first half um, that that David Bingham yelled at Diego Polenta um, basically to close out a shooter, um, and Polenta turned around and started screaming at Bingham and put his finger up to his mouth, telling him to be quiet. Um, so there was some there was some anger and some some frustration with this team already early in that you know for sort of first half or at least within that first half that Polenta was already too fire in my mind Diego Polenta is great because he provides a lot of fire and that emotion for the LA Galaxy you know he is sort of that uh, he wears his heart on his sleeve guy and that can lead to the LA Galaxy being you know a little more fired up or or playing with a little more passion that one or two percent that you can milk out of guys that's great for Diego Polenta but in this game you saw it go, you know, the opposite way. And I thought he was unfairly punished, by the way. Um, not for the red card, because I'm sure he probably deserved that, although I have there's no uh, video of that incident that I've seen. Just sort of explanations of what happened after the whistle. Um, but Polenta getting a yellow card at the beginning was a complete provocation um, by a Portland Timbers player who already had a yellow card. Uh, he fell to the ground. Um, it was almost a dive. There was light contact, if anything. And then he stands up and gets in Polenta's face. And Polenta doesn't take kindly to that, so he doesn't back down. And somehow Alan Chapman finds that that's worthy of a yellow card to Diego Polenta um, and not, you know, Paredes, who was already on the yellow card. Um, so there was little things like that, and you could see that that got under Polenta's skin even more, and now that's like the fire. And with Zlatan Ibrahimovic going off the rails as well, that adds fire to Polenta. I mean, you know, seeing, uh, again, Efrain Alvarez and, and that red card is just... I would like to say it's out of character for him, but it was almost, you know, it's frustration. It's throwing your toys down, and, and that's not what you want to see from a developing kid. Hopefully he learned a lesson. I also think that the uh, some of the Portland players trying to go after Efrain Alvarez was way over the top on that. Um, they should probably rein themselves in again, but you could see that as many yellow cards as there were in this game, Kevin, I thought Alan Chapman rarely had a handle on this game, and it continued to get out of hand. Uh, three yellow cards to Portland in the first 42 minutes. Uh, through 76 minutes, they add another three yellow cards to the LA Galaxy. And then in, in the 84th minute, all the way through the end of the game, there's three red cards. Uh, that's not a game that is under control by any referee. And I think that only added to the frustration of both Guillermo Barrescalero um, and and the LA Galaxy players. And and whenever that whenever things aren't going your way, whenever you're losing four nothing. Um, that's sort of the you know the recipe for disaster, and you saw the galaxy uh, made a meal of it towards the end. The lack of composure is inexcusable, um, and if the galaxy are smart, they don't challenge the red card on Efrain Alvarez. Uh, it's not worth the challenge, um, and they understand they're missing two of their better players, with Zlatan Ibrahimovic and, and Diego Polenta, two of their best offensive players, by the way, as well. Well, Scalotto seemed to indicate after the game that they would uh, ask the disciplinary committee to review the Efrain Alvarez play. He thought he seemed to indicate that he thought that they might be able to get that uh, red card 
rescinded. But when you talk about the, the lack of composure, think about last year when LAFC, after they played the Galaxy in the first uh, El Trafico, the one that Zlatan won, 4-3, to three, the next week they went to Atlanta and they were losing 2 to nothing going into stoppage time. They wound up losing 5 to nothing and they lost a player to a red card. It was one of those situations like yesterday where they, they just totally lost composure. And rather than saying, look, we're in stoppage time. We're going to lose the game. Let's not lose any players. Let's just, you know, just draw the, hold the line here and get out of here. The Galaxy, it, LAFC couldn't do that in that instance, and it cost them. The Galaxy, I don't think, it, the same thing. They, You know, Polenta should have, may, maybe he's right. Maybe he has justification for going after uh, the Portland player. But he wound up with the red card. The, so did the Portland player. But Polenta's out. You already knew. He knew at that point that Zalatan was out. He knew that Efraim Alvarez was out. Again, all these things happening in the final minutes, even the Zlatan red card was after the 70th minute. So if you stop the game at 20 minutes, the Galaxy lose the game, but they go on without with all their players. Now they lost the game and they lost three players. So I just don't see what, what purpose that served. But, you know, the silver lining is that they will have Christian Pavon, right? He'll be there yeah. in Atlanta. He's on his way up. <laughs> it's a short flight from Argentina to Atlanta. He'll be there, right? He'll, he'll be there. I'm sure. I'm sure that's well. I don't know. It depends on which person you talk to at what time and everything else as we're on sunday right now and and in what and in which language because espn in english is saying no deal espn in espanol from argentina is saying the deal is done he's on his way so and and i think maybe they even backtracked i have no idea and i can't keep track of it i'll tell you what all of the rumors were though uh the different rumors had different price tags and everything else the last rumor that we heard was the la galaxy offered 18 million dollars for 100 percent of pavone's rights which would make it a record transfer uh, into uh, into Major League Soccer, and I guess if I was the guy who was telling you he was worth 12 million at 50 percent, which values him at 24 million, then I'd have to also say that he was worth 18 million, which would be under the 24 million valuation, and he'd be worth it. Although I have a harder time swallowing the 18 million dollar full purchase price if that's the case. Anyway. That was that was the 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 uh, the the new rumors that we sort of heard on Friday. Um, I had also been told um, that the LA Galaxy were close to a deal, um, and that an announcement for, for Pavone could come right around the All Star game, and and using that break as sort of a hype train to, to make that all happen. Um, I I don't know how much I believe any of that, but I wanted to tell you that at least that was out there. Um, it's certainly on our website, and and we've talked about it a bunch. Um, ESPN threw uh, and and Jeff Carlisle threw a lot of cold water whenever uh, he basically had sources and league sources saying that the LA Galaxy uh, deal with Pavone is not close and that there were no record transfer fees involved and it looked more like a loan for six months with sort of an option to buy um, and the LA Galaxy would pay you know something like I'm guessing the old numbers might be you know anywhere between eight and twelve million dollars for Pavone for that and then may basically be able to have them through the loan for the first six months and then pay Boca and payments and a whole bunch of stuff. But there was also a comment in there that said that perhaps Boca were looking to loan him out somewhere in Europe as well. Um, so those are sort of all of it. And now if you go online and you look on Twitter and you see all of the different announcements, they uh, it's now saying that Boca Juniors have once again rejected the LA Galaxy's offer um, and that the deal's once again dead. And this would probably make its fourth or fifth dead um, you know, appearance for this particular loan. But Kevin, you talked to the LA Galaxy or at least somebody close there and they told you basically that the, that the the uh, that they still were had their options open, you know, on Thursday or Friday, right? 
Right. The, the, the point being that the transfer window is, is uh, still open. One of the things they said is, is we've heard all along that the Friday was the drop dead deal. Like if Boca didn't agree by Friday that Dennis DeClosa wanted to uh, explore other options and the window would be closing and he needed some time to do that. So they needed a definitive yes or no by Friday. The Galaxy told me that wasn't true that uh, there was no deadline, that there was no deadline from either Boca or from the Galaxy, that if there was a chance to make a deal that both sides would continue talking. And I did believe, too, it did make sense to me, the idea that we're going to announce this during the All-Star break. The the MLS, the All-Star break has become a, and the All-Star game has become a big deal. I I know for the most part, a lot of fans don't care about it. It's not a very competitive game. It's it's a, a friendly, it's an exhibition game. The reason it's a big deal for MLS is back in the day when the MLS Cup was played in a uh, a third location, in other words, a location that wasn't uh, part of uh, the home field of either team. When the location of MLS Cup was set years in advance, MLS would have all of its sponsor parties and all of its uh, um, sponsor events at MLS Cup, kind of like the NFL does with the Super Bowl. Well, once they decided that MLS Cup would go to the team with the best record, they would be the home team, they only had, to say, a week uh, at the end of the season to prepare for that. It wasn't enough time to get all their sponsors into town. So all of a sudden, the MLS All-Star game became the big deal. That's when all the league officials get together. That's when there's parties and and all these events for sponsors that are a, a very big deal for the league's bottom line. So that's why the MLS All-Star game has become a big deal. That's why they wanted Zlatan there so bad last year. That's why they have that rule that if you don't play, you get suspended to try to get some of these big players there. If you know all that and all that is true, then you say, well, the, the idea of announcing the a league record transfer fee at the All-Star break when all the movers and shakers are there and Don Garber can step up, up to the podium and say, this proves that we're a, a, you know, a huge deal, that we're a major league – that makes a lot of sense. I can see where they would definitely want to do that. And and it would behoove both teams then, especially the Galaxy, to say, no, nothing's done yet. You know, tune back in Wednesday. We might have an answer for you. But on Friday, I have a response from uh, a team official at Boca. Uh, it, it came in Spanish, but translated, it basically says the kid is all ready to go, meaning Pavon. It, it, he will not stay. He's not going to um, play. He's not going to play for the match against Huracan, their last match. He said, um, it, he said the the deal is done guaranteed. Only percentages remain to be defined, and that was the eighteen million dollar deal, and that was as of Friday. Just remain to be defined, and the counter offer has already arrived, and it's eighteen million dollars. That's what this guy said from, uh, from Boca on Friday. Right, and now we're here still waiting. Yeah, I mean, and and we may still wait. I, I don't know where to point people on this one. Um, I've had people tell me everything that it's dead, that it's alive, that it's done, that it's not done, that it's close, that it's not close. Um, and that's difficult to sort of put my finger on in terms of trying to lead you in the correct direction. I'll say this: that the Galaxy seem to have been, you know, certainly zeroed in on this player, and I think the the history with Guillermo Barrascoleto makes this uh, something that they should go after. Uh, however, having said that, the the deadline is August seventh, and if the LA Galaxy can't add an offensive uh, piece by August seventh, um, then the transfer window really is a failure for them, and they you 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 know how short this team will be on goals. I mean, it's it's you can see it, you can see it in the stats, you can see it in the way they play, you can see it in everything that the LA Galaxy have one really dangerous piece, and that the 
and that opposing teams are, are more than happy to let Oriol and Tuna be all by himself on the left-hand side because they know there's no danger coming from that side. Um, so you need another piece in there that's going to score goals that's at least going to be dangerous um, and make them you know shift around a little bit whenever they're trying to cover Zlatan with three guys and, and however else they want to do it. So um, you know that's what the LA Galaxy are up against because you can't go through this transfer window, the summer transfer window, and not get better because the LA Galaxy did that last year. Um, they went through and they didn't get better. And what you saw was after the window closed that other teams got better. They picked up their pace. The points ro rocketed up and the LA Galaxy went into some losing streaks and didn't win any games. I mean, you're, you're on the precipice of that happening right now with the LA Galaxy in 2019. And if you look at the at the games, um, the LA Galaxy, I think, are only two or three games ahead of the 37-point mark that they had last year in 2018. So if you thought the 2018 season was not a great season, understand the Galaxy are only two or three games ahead of that right now in terms of how many points they have through 22 games versus you know being through 25 games at 37 points uh, for the LA Galaxy last year. So there's a lot of comparisons to that. Whenever you look at where the LA Galaxy are right now and how, you know, sort of where they where they sit in the league and how they sit against their other franchises, they they're if you want to quantify it in terms of twenty-four seasons with the LA Galaxy, Kevin, they are off to their sixth best start through 22 games, basically. Um, so as you count the games, through 22 games, the LA Galaxy are, the, are, are through their are, are in their sixth best start, which is good considering they've played 24 seasons. That's definitely at the, you know, the upper 25% of those seasons. So that's a, that's a good place for the Galaxy to be. But when you look at the charts and look at what some of those Galaxy teams did, and, you know, they're fairly close to a 2012 team that, or excuse me, a 2014 team that ended up winning, you know, an MLS Cup. Um, you saw that there was an increase in production and an increase of winning, you know, sort of around this time after the transfer window, whenever all the pieces have sort of been set and, the, you know, everything now, you know, goes in this direction. So the Galaxy need to add a piece. They absolutely have to add a piece. And if it's not Pavone, it has to be somebody else. And that's up to, you know, Dennis Ciclosa, Gamera Barcelona to figure out what that right piece is. But it's an offensive piece. Um, it needs to be a goal scoring piece. And if it's not, uh, I, I think it will be a race to sort of that finish of whether or not the LA Galaxy can keep their head above that playoff line. Um, well, let me say on, on the, the message I got from Argentina, it did say that Pavone would not play uh, against Huracan. That game was played today, Sunday. He did not play, did not suit up, was not among the 18. So that part of the story is true. Whether that means the rest of it is true, we'll find out in a couple of days. But that report does say that it's $18 million, that the deal is done, only the details uh, need to be worked out and that he wouldn't play against Huracan and he didn't. So, you know, the other thing when you talk about teams taking off after the transfer window right now in that galaxy locker room, I, I guarantee you people are looking around um, at bringing in a guy like this is going to cost somebody some playing time. It's probably going to cost Alessandrini whatever possible future he may have had with the galaxy. It, they probably have a pretty good idea what's going to go on with Slotton after the season. I mean, if they're, if they're devoting $18 million to this guy, um, that has to come into the budget somehow. And and as we know, Zalatan is the most expensive player in MLS history. So everyone's kind of looking around both in, in a personal way, but in a team way. They're looking around and saying, how will this affect me? But then they're also looking, as you said, at the team picture. Oh, my gosh, if we get Pavone, we're going to be so good. Oh, we didn't get him. Now what? So there is, again, we're talking about momentum, which doesn't, with the Galaxy seem to be immune to momentum, but there is a certain momentum. Oh, we've got this guy, management went out of the way, they spent $18 million, they believe in us, we're going to take off. Or management couldn't pull the string, they couldn't get it done, 
why should I bust my butt when management's not backing me up? So there is a certain momentum to this. He's not going to make or break the season, but he's going to have a big impact on what goes on, whether he comes or not, on what goes on from here. You're right. If, if they have to settle for anyone who comes in, they could get Leo Messi now, and people would say, oh, that's second best because they want to Pavone, and this is, <laughs> this is their fallback plan, which is ridiculous. But I think you get my sense is that it, everyone's been looking at this guy as the savior, and if they don't get him, I think that does have an impact on the team. Um, it also, at the same time, puts a lot of pressure on him because he's looked at the savior. But once, if he comes, then we have to start looking at the math. What what happened? How do they get him onto the team with the designated player situation when they don't have a designated player spot? And clearly, he's coming in as a DP. Um, what does this mean going forward? Because uh, Jonathan has signed multi years after this. Alessandrini's contract is up at the end of the season. So is Alaton. Do they bring them both back? If they bring Pavone, a guy who's 26 years old, they're b- banking the future on him. Um, do they play another year with him out of position uh, because Zlatan's the sole striker up top and, and continue to play in that kind of a formation? That's not the, the kind of way that, that Guillermo wants to play. That's not the way Boca played. That's not the way that, that Pavone wants to play. It's not the way Pablo Alvarez wants to play. So there is a lot of uh, – getting Pavone answers a question, but it also begs many, many more questions going forward. Yeah, and and it should. Um, by the way, he's twenty three years old. Just one of twenty three. I'm yeah. sorry. No, no, that's that's it makes a difference. I think in in terms of uh, o, o, whether or not you say it's a value or not. Uh, Carlos wrote into us and actually said, you know, uh, with the Pavone rumor, he goes eighteen million. Really, with that money, you know, the G's could have had you know other people um, and still have money left over. I honestly don't think he would have to come to MLS. But my point is, why the obsession with Pavone? Um, and and by the way, why are you? Why are the Galaxy willing to risk? Um, let's say for let's say pretend that eighteen million dollars is true. Uh, why are the Galaxy willing to risk eighteen million dollars on a guy who does not have a starting position, uh, you know, for Boca Juniors right now, and who hasn't been playing that well? As a matter of fact, he's getting booed down. Um, I, in I know the answer to all those questions. Yeah, what, what's the answer? The answer is when he made the Argentine World Cup team. The stories in Argentina are when he came back, he began to think that he was. A, a much bigger deal perhaps than people back in Argentina did. He came back with a little bit of an attitude, the idea that I am I just played in the World Cup for Argentina. I'm a teammate of Leo Messi's. I don't really have to try anymore. Um, I've arrived. Uh, you know, I'm here. And he, the word I get is he, he stopped training. He backed off on his training a little bit. Then when he got into games, he wasn't fit. He didn't perform. The fans definitely picked up on that, and that's what led to the booing. Um, but he's good enough to make the Argentine World Cup team. So he's a very good player. And this is where Guillermo comes in. Guillermo believes that he is the guy that has the key uh, to making Pavone be the player that made the World Cup team. He has a history with him. He knows the player inside and out. They apparently had a very good relationship. Uh, Pavone has to sign off on this thing, too. At some point, he's not going to come play with Scalotto if he doesn't like him and doesn't perform for him. So it's one of those situations where you have a player in a bad situation back home. Guillermo believes he has the key, believes that $18 million may even be a bargain. When you looked at, you know, people like Arsenal were talking, uh, you know, double that uh, before the World Cup. Right. And now all of a sudden, you know, this guy's still 23. So it's one of those things where Guillermo believes that he is the the guy that can save this guy's career. He believes he's the answer. You know, don't look at what you see. Look at what I can do with him. And so that's a big part of it. Uh, the the the, the Scalos knowing him, knowing what he can do, and their personal relationship. Yeah, no, and and I think we've highlighted that before, and just sort of how that works. Uh, the bottom line, though, then that's a Guillermo guy, um, and if that guy doesn't perform, you just spent eighteen million dollars on something. Now, clearly, 
Um, I don't know if Boca is just playing hardball. You know, I certainly think that a lot of this stuff has been and continues to be posturing on both sides um, about deadlines and about not deadlines and about rejecting offers and doing all these other things. Eventually, a deal has to you know get done, and usually that happens whenever you can sit down and, and sit across the table and actually just hammer out what the what the deal is and, and and finally make sure everybody gets the right amount of money for for whatever it is. Um, but you know, at this late advanced time, it's up to the galaxy really to go out and get a clear number two. Um, to make sure that that clear number two is known throughout the media. So that way, you know, uh, Boca understands that they're about to lose $18 million. And Boca was, you know, sort of cash strapped. They brought in guys. They sold some guys. Um, I don't know what position they're in anymore. But it's clear, and everybody has said so, that Pavone is not long for this team. And quite honestly, Boca has gone out there by not playing him, by under, by saying, you know, in, in all the media reports and everything you're seeing from Argentina is that this player has to move. He's not happy there. He wants to go to LA. He wants to go to Los Angeles. He doesn't want to play for Boca Juniors anymore. All of these things are, are, are untenable if you continue them. Um, you can't have Boca continue to devalue that player anymore. So um, this has to come to a head. And whether or not the Galaxy are, are a part of that deal or outside of that deal is, is sort of where it goes. But, well, you know, yeah. I was just going to say, I want to add one other thing to this, because as everyone who listens to this show or, and, you know, looks at the stuff that I write for the Times, I do not compliment the Galaxy very often. In fact, I, with the Galaxy, I throw compliments around pretty much like manhole covers. Um, but they deserve a, if they pull this deal off, or you know what, even if they don't, because I do believe they've made an offer, whether it's $18 million, I believe it was a, it was a very attractive offer. Um, so when you look at what the Galaxy have done since December, they signed a lot of time to the richest contract in MLS history, $7.2 million. They bought out uh, Giovanni Dos Santos. We still don't know what that cost them, but if he didn't sign with Club America, they were on the hook for $6.5 million, paying a guy to go away. Why? Because it makes the team better. So right there you have $13.7 million. They essentially spent for Zalatan because they had to get rid of uh, Gio to create a spot for Zalatan. So they spent $13.6 million, $13.7 million on and now they're offering another $18 million to a guy and they don't have a position for him, which means it's going to, it could cost them some money to create a position, but I don't know how they would do that. You know, the, the, I don't understand all the ins and outs of the rules and, and maybe you don't understand it at this point either, whether they buy Alessandrini out, but they're going to have to make some move to make this happen. So if you look at Pavone and, and and Zlatan, you could possibly look at the fact that they spent over $30 million on this season on those two guys. Yeah. And then they had to get rid of another player too, whether it be Alessandrini or, or whoever has to move. That is a substantial commitment by a Galaxy front office. And I think to, to be commended by that, a couple of years ago we were talking about how cheap they were, and they were incredibly cheap in 2017. Now they've turned, turned over a new leaf and they are spending money, as they promised, by the way, even in 2017 at the height of their penny pinching they promised that if we have reason to spend money we will we have the money we just don't see anything we want to spend it on well now they're spending so they should be commended for that yeah they should all right uh the LA galaxy currently sitting in third place uh in the western conference uh let's see they sit as we sort of talked about you know two spots below lafc is 49 points seattle sounders at 38 uh la galaxy at 37 tied with san jose at 37 minnesota united 35 points, FC Dallas 33 points, and the Portland Timbers currently in 7th in the last uh, playoff spot right now. That win over the LA Galaxy put them above Real Salt Lake. Um, Real Salt Lake having problems with uh, head coach Mike Petke, who was suspended by the by Major League Soccer for apparently some sort of altercation or at least a, uh, a verbal altercation with a League's Cup refereeing crew, um, 
which is very interesting, and the MLS put out a press release about that. Anyway, side note, don't need to cover that a, a whole bunch. But anyway, that's where the Western Conference shapes up. The LA Galaxy currently in fourth in the Supporter Shield. Um, we understand, again, that, you know, as Kevin has gone over it, that the Galaxy, while they are in a good position right now, are not ridiculously far from the, you know, 31 points that are currently uh, the last spot in the seventh, in the seventh, uh, in seventh place in the playoffs. So, Having said all that, that's about two games difference in terms of, you know, two wins, two losses either way. The LA Galaxy could be on the outside looking in. One thing I wanted to cover before we got out of here, because it's something that sort of got buried after the LAFC game. It was something that I had on my list of things to talk about. Um, Aaron on Twitter reminded me, and thank you, Aaron, for that, because it was something I wanted to talk about. But I wanted to talk about Giovanni Dos Santos. And you mentioned the LA Galaxy buying him out and him going to Club America, stuff we've reported on and talked about for a long time. Uh, but Giovanni Dos Santos apparently was not very happy with the LA Galaxy training and medical staff. Um, he talked after he went to America. There was a big, long article, as a matter of fact, um, I think uh, ESPN uh, did something with uh, with Tom Marshall, who covers uh, Liga MX, um, for that for uh, ESPN, and sort of was talking uh, to Giovanni Dos Santos, and they well, were. Going... It was actually an interview he did with Televisa, oh, okay. which owns Club America. So okay. obviously they got access to him, and yeah, Tom Marshall picked up on that. Yeah, yeah the the quotes from that story were um, he said that uh, that the. Well, you you explain this better than right. I would, will probably. But the medical staff once said he had a knee problem. Uh, Gio didn't say he, uh, he thought he had a knee problem. He thought it was just a strange pain. They wanted him to take injections, which he did because he felt as a club employee he couldn't say no. And he said from being a muscular injury, they wanted to do an operation. They were trying to guess what it was. And he said, if I had stayed at the Galaxy, we'd be talking about retirement. He said the, that the Mexican national team doctor recommended against the injections. That doctor is now the the uh, Club America doctor, uh, concurs with uh, with Gio that if he had stayed with the Galaxy that he might have uh, had to retire. Yeah, which is interesting. Okay, so this is this is where you have to, I don't know, I think there's two angles to look at this. Uh, one is that Giovanni Del Santos certainly probably has some sour grapes from the LA Galaxy, and despite all the positive sort of farewells, this and that <laughs> goes through there, uh, I wouldn't I w it wouldn't put it past Gio to take some shots at the LA Galaxy the first moment that he did, and that this very well could be that. Um, having also said that, I don't completely... I don't completely disagree with uh, what he's saying either in terms of I, I can't say that it's not true. Um, I don't 100% trust, you know, a lot of the LA Galaxy training staff um, and, and sort of what they put out. And we've certainly seen the injuries that the LA Galaxy have suffered through, especially at that time. Now, whether that's changed now that Guillermo Verascoloto has come in, um, you know, very well could. Uh, it's just an interesting position for the Galaxy to have to be in to talk about a guy who they were paying a ton of money. Um, and that guy comes out and says, basically, you were going to ruin my career if I would have stayed there. So thank God you bought me out and I moved to Club America because otherwise I would be my career would be over. Well, you look at this. The Galaxy have gone through, it seems to me, three distinct distinctly different medical staffs since Bruce has gone. They had the Anafo staff. Uh, Kurt blew, or uh, Ziggy blew that up at the end of that year. Uh, they had the Ziggy staff the second year. Uh, then Scalotto's come in with his whole new team from Argentina. So they've had three different medical staffs the last three seasons. And Gio probably got caught in the middle of a lot of that. Uh, how much uh, confidence do, do some of the players have in that medical staff? Well, you should know that Zlatan has his own personal trainer. 
doesn't deal with the team medical staff. He has his own trainer. Um, but if you look at the history, I mean, how many times has Alessandrini been hurt? Gio was not on the field a lot, especially right. in his last season. Uh, Sebastian Legette, and I know these some of these injuries are different, but now they're saying Legette, and I think, is it is it Pontius or Kitchen? Kitchen. Now they, they have pelvic Pelvis. injuries. Yeah. I mean, a pelvic injury. So there there is a lot of reason to be to look at that and say, as you did, to see, you know, I, there sounds like there could be some truth in that, but it also sounds like sour grapes. I went to the Galaxy for a comment. And they said, uh, we issued our statement when he left the team, and we'll have no no further comment on Giovanni Dos Santos. So that's it. They're, they have moved on from it, and they're not going to engage in a war of words. Oh, but I also went to the LA Galaxy and asked for a comment. And Interesting. I, and I got, we'll not be commenting on that. So, oh, um, yeah. Almost the same as me. Almost the same as you, basically. That was it. So anyway, uh, I just thought it was interesting to sort of pull out there. Again, um, I don't know how much of it to believe either way. Uh, I tend to believe that, you know, the training staff for the LA Galaxy are trying to do the best they can. Um, and I don't believe that they're out there to injure players or, or, or anything else. But I also um, would say that, you know, there very well could have been an issue with uh, Giovanni Dos Santos. He didn't play a whole bunch. Um, so, you know, well, I, I guess it sort of sees what's his longevity whenever he goes and plays at Club America, whether or not he was injured as much as he was with the LA Galaxy. Maybe that's the, the tale of the tape eventually uh, whenever you look at it. Or maybe it was the tale of the motivation uh, for Giovanni Dos Santos as well, which was certainly a criticism whenever he was playing for the LA Galaxy. So lots of stuff um, you know, to sort of keep an eye on as Giovanni Dos Santos heads off to Club America. Not that I think a bunch of LA Galaxy fans will be paying uh, much attention to you that. You know one. how he did in his first game, right? No. How did he do? Well, his first game came against an MLS team. Oh, so it was right. the first time he played against an MLS team, uh, first time he beat an MLS team since last July. Uh, but he had the winning penalty kick against uh, Houston in the Leagues Cup. The uh, game finished in, in a draw, and so they went to immediately to penalty kicks to decide it. And uh, Giovanni Dos Santos had the winning penalty kick. After coming off the bench in the 57th minute, he had an assist and then the game-winning penalty kick. So in 43 minutes, he contributed more to Club America than he did in, what, how many months with the Galaxy? Yeah, uh, by the way, Club America and the LA Galaxy on a collision course to play in the League's Cup Final. Um, if they both make it, they will play there. Do, I don't know. Do you care? No, you nobody care? cares. Okay. Nobody, no, nobody cares. Um, I think the LA Galaxy players will certainly care because they get paid by game. So if they win another game, they will get more money if they win that game. Um, so but you, you know, people, you and I talked about this. So the Galaxy have six games coming up between... Um, August 3rd and September 1st. The seventh game would be that Leagues Cup game. And as you rightly pointed out, so what? It's not the same players are going to play in that game. It's uh, it's going to be August 20th. It's after the, the – they would play August 3rd, August 11th, August 14th, August 17th. So four games in uh, 14 days. Then they would play that Leagues Cup game three days later. So five games in 17 days. It will be a totally different team, yes. And it will come five days before the next El Trafico at LAFC. I'm sure people will be looking ahead to that and not focusing on the Lakes Cup. So what's the big deal? They're bringing up a bunch of Galaxy 2 guys, no problem. Except they have to alter their training a little bit. The coaching staff has to prepare for Cruz Azul. Um, it, it, it takes the, the focus for the, at least the coaching staff and at least one day of training, maybe more, away from the MLS season. So I I, I agree with you. It's not you know, a fatigue issue. It's not going to hurt players, although we did see Julian Araujo probably feeling the effects of that game. So it doesn't really affect the team there, but it does take their focus away from MLS for a limited amount of time at a very, very important period in their season coming up to the second El Trafico. So I did hear some rumors. I did hear some stuff on, on the Internet that many Galaxy officials were actually upset that the team won. I kind of find that hard to believe. I think you go into any game, you try to win. So you may not be upset 
with that you won, but I don't think they would have been disappointed if they lost. Maybe that's a better way to put it. Yeah, I think that was that was that was always the thing. I mean, the only by the way, the LA Galaxy do get a little feather in their cap as being the only MLS team to advance in League's Cup. Um, so I guess if if that's something, it's it still is not a tournament that I think any MLS team should be you know taking seriously, especially not this year when there was no qualification for any of this stuff. But and Real Salt Lake wound up losing his coach for yeah, they, uh, un, they did unspecified amount of time. They so. did. Not a good debut for this tournament for MLS. I was going to say, at least Julian Araujo got a red card at the end of uh, of the, the League's Cup game, so he will not be playing in their next uh, game they play in League's Cup as well. Oh, Cruz is those favored. And, uh, yeah, well, gee, big surprise. Um, yeah, uh, how about... I also point this out because people were asking whenever I posted the Mike Petke getting suspended, they're like, well, how does that carry through to MLS? And then, well, with egregious... Um, issues if they're larger than just your normal run-of-the-mill issue uh leagues can choose to abide by the suspensions you had clint dempsey which is the most famous one i think uh clint dempsey in a u.s open cup game who uh who took the notebook out of the uh referee's hand i think he tore it up and like threw it on the ground or whatever and was suspended you know four games or five games or something like that those ended up being served in major league soccer because the 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 altercation was egregious enough that major league soccer decided to abide abide by that suspension, even though it was outside of Major League Soccer's uh, purview. It was U.S. Open Cup. The same happened with Luis Suarez when he bit a player during the 2014 World Cup. I believe he was suspended for the start of his Barcelona career, which started that summer um, because FIFA said this was an egregious thing, and it carries over to UEFA and carries over to your club team as well. Yep. Yes. Um, so, so that's it, my recollection. I think I have that right. Yeah, it very well could. And again, it's it just matters sort of sort of on the severity of the issue. So, um, that's how you can sort of that's why it, it will carry across or anything else. Yeah, All right. You trip a guy, it probably doesn't carry over. No. You shoot a guy, probably does. It probably does. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Roman Alessandrini, uh, GBS says still expecting to return to training at the end of July, beginning of August, which is way earlier than we thought. We told you about that. Uh, Chris Pontius was not in. Uh, it was not suited up for this particular game. So we have to imagine that he is still maybe back this week, uh, maybe not back this week, but uh, Chris Pontius would be a welcome return for the LA Galaxy against Atlanta United, that's for sure. Um, so we'll see if he does. Perry Kitchen and Sebastian Legett both available for this game. Kitchen stayed on the bench. Legett came off the bench and played about 35 minutes, I think, right around that uh, that amount. Um, so he was back, and it looks like he so far survived that game, um, even though I think... Uh, and the pelvic injury. Yeah, and the pelvic injury. Dead, I, deadly pelvic injury. I think they ended up being like hip injuries more than pelvis injuries i think that's how but like the translation ended up being pelvis but it was more hip i don't know i i, I just ask everybody how their pelvis is now whenever i talk the to hip the bones connected to the pelvic bone exactly exactly all right so that's it the yellow galaxy will face off against atlanta united coming up on saturday august 3rd it is a nationally televised game uh on fox uh it is their second nationally televised game in a row um let's say actually their third actually their fourth because you go LAFC was nationally televised. The Leagues Cup game was nationally televised. Portland's nationally televised. Atlanta's nationally televised. And DC United is nationally televised. So the LA Galaxy have a run of, what, four, five, five games that are nationally televised in a row. Um, so that will be nationally televised on August 3rd. That is a 2 p.m. Pacific time kickoff. So make sure you take a look at that. Uh, uh, by the way, do you know how you say pelvis in Spanish? How do you say it? Pelvis. Okay, so yeah, the translation there probably probably didn't get mixed up, huh? All right, it's what it is. Uh, let's see. Uh, whenever you look at the the schedule and all that, uh, for the podcast at least, um, we'll either be recording on Wednesday or Thursday. Haven't set that, but we'll announce it on uh, on Twitter and social media. So that way you can join us for a live show that will get you ready for this Atlanta game. And as far as I know, uh, the hammer, the Portuguese hammer, will be back in studio as well. All right. Uh, anything else, Kevin? 
No, actually, I guess you would say pelvis, but it's spelled the same way. It's, uh, it's the same word. It's tough to. Just, I, I'm it, not buying the translation. It's tough to screw say. up the translation issue. Is that what you're saying? I, I could I it's could see not that a translation issue. Even I could get it's that right. It's a medical issue. It's a medical issue. All right, too many. Geo pelvis. is right. Geo, they don't know that their knees from their pelvis over uh, there. Apparently not. Hips from their pelvis. That's what it was. All right. Uh, all right. If you're uh, if you're good, I'm good. If you're looking for Mr. Kevin Baxter on Twitter. It's at kbaxter11, and please head on over to latimes.com and subscribe to his weekly newsletter where you can get all sorts of interesting uh, tidbits, facts about the LA Galaxy and the other teams here in Southern California and across the world. Uh, Kevin covering the U.S. women's national team, the U.S. men's national team, LAFC, of course, and the LA Galaxy. So uh, head on over to latimes.com, find that newsletter, subscribe, and uh, away you go. It's free. Why wouldn't you do it? You you should do it. All right. Uh, If you're looking for me on Twitter, it's at jgesman, J-G-U-E-S-M-A-N, and of course, at Galaxy Podcast. Head on over to galaxy.com where of course you can find all of our articles all of our previews our recaps our podcasts our videos all sorts of fun stuff and we do have over a thousand subscribers now on our youtube channel so head on over to that and subscribe and catch our live shows on wednesdays or thursdays and you can interact with us in the chat room which is always more fun than it possibly should be all right for mr kevin the panda baxter i'm josh Kesman. you've been listening to corner of the galaxy from the box on corner of the have a great one everybody You've been listening to the Corner of the Galaxy from the Box podcast on cornerofthegalaxy.com. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Galaxy Podcast. And be sure to check out and subscribe to iTunes, Stitcher, and Facebook by searching for Corner of the Galaxy. And for all of your independent LA Galaxy news, discussion, and entertainment, including this podcast, head on over to cornerofthegalaxy.com. Fans, thanks for listening. We ask that you be kind and courteous to your neighbors as you leave the podcast. We thank you for joining us and look forward to seeing you again. Until then, I'm Michael Araujo, and on behalf of the entire Corner of the Galaxy crew, goodbye, everybody.